Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the Keystone Chronicles podcast. Hope you guys are enjoying the show. This week, we go back, part two, Mr. Wade James. I titled this The PP Tree, and you guys are going to find out why in this week's episode. Funny story coming up, so stay tuned. As for me, in the outdoors, I've been doing a little bit more fishing. I've been very busy uh, at work the last couple weeks, but that's going to slow down soon, and I'll be getting my cameras out soon. So heads up to you guys. I know you think, hey, June, July, what the heck would I want to put cameras up for? Go for it. Get out there. Find some old sign. Find some new sign. Maybe you'll be able to find some bedding areas, some tall grass or whatnot. Um, we want to make sure that we're checking for ticks, guys. Always always checking for ticks. Um, little secret, and you guys probably all know, but uh, maybe tuck your shirt in. Uh, that definitely will help deter them from getting around your waist. Uh, you can put your socks up over your pants. You can do that too. Um, just some things some old timers have showed me and, and taught me that have helped me um, kind of stay away from the ticks. Uh, spray down. I use the Sawyers and it seems to work pretty well. So other than that, guys, I had a little idea this week and I'm going to try to put something together and see if there is anybody that is willing to collect some old bows that maybe you guys have laying around and I'd like to donate them maybe to kids, uh, maybe like a, a, a trap association or something that can start up some type of little archery league or just take them to uh, maybe like a trap meeting or something where they have some younger people that would be interested in learning how to shoot archery. And I know that there's lots of people that would be interested in helping me out. So reach out to me. Uh, if you know anybody that would be interested in collecting them, I don't really have the time right now to dedicate to it to get everybody involved so if you know anybody or you guys can send anybody my way please uh don't hesitate to contact me as there's something i'd really like to do and i know a couple people that have some bows laying around so let me know if you guys are interested and as for this week's show i hope you guys enjoy i never did if your bow's tuned properly you, don't, you really don't have to worry about fixed blades out past 50 yards right. honestly if you're 50 yards and in i feel your your fixed blade if your bow is tuned correctly you're, you're right. golden. Well, if you're shooting more than more than that, more than 50, God bless you. Yeah. I, I, I just can't do it. But yeah. I think, like you were saying, you know, you, you you might see the biggest deer that you've ever seen 35 yards away and you don't shoot it. Why know why? You've wounded deer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what it comes down to. Because yeah. once you know that feeling, you... You don't want to do it. No. No, I mean, you uh, you probably still think about it. Oh, yeah. There's, there's quite a few deer that I can remember. Even They don't even have to be a big buck. If it's a traumatic experience, experience. even with a yeah. doe. Yeah. Like even my first couple of years of archery hunt, I remember sticking a uh, like a first year deer, first deer I ever shot at with a bow, right through the freaking neck, and I yeah. watched that deer run away with a full arrow split right down like through its the meat of its neck, yep. and I watched that deer run, and I never got it, and I still in my in this in my age of thirty three, and this was I was you know fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, whenever I did that, right. I can still like I it makes me sick in the stomach just yep. thinking about that deer. I because now having kids, I feel, and if you have dogs, it's a weird thing. Like once you get to that <laughs> point where you have dogs and kids, you think of things suffering differently. Yeah. Like before, when you're a young kid, I used to walk around and smash, <laughs> ground, like field mice with golf clubs. You know, like your buddies just goofing off because you're a dumb kid. Right. But now I'm like, in my head, I'm like that deer. Who knows how long it was until it expired or didn't expire? But it's sleeping that night with an arrow sticking out of its neck. Yeah. Like, ugh, I don't want to. I don't want to be that guy. Yep. I'd rather hang the bow back up than do something like that ever yep. again. Yep. I think that that's why a lot of guys get. You know, rifle hunters get this get this rap that some guys jump bow hunters. Oh, you guys are always wounding deer. Mm -hmm. 
You know, don't get me wrong. Yeah, it happens. I was one of those guys when I was a kid. And don't get me wrong, though. The rifle hunters will wound deer, too. Oh, yeah. You know, and they might not want to admit it. I've, had, I've shot deer in rifle season with the front leg blown off or the second week. You know, yeah. you go walk up to a buck you shot and it's gangrene because someone blew its balls yep. off and its back leg. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, is this thing 65 mile an hour running through the woods and you're just flinging yep. lead at it? And that's Absolutely. why everything's, you know, gangrene and full of pus. And, and that's what scares me about the open season because let's face it, you know, what's the thing that everybody says in PA? It's brown, it's down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's scary. Yeah. Because I can remember this, and this is no joke. This is a true story. I was growing up, my gram had the television on, and they were doing a thing on the first day of rifle hunting. Mm-hmm. And this kid comes on, and they aired this. I wish I could find it. I really do. <laughs> this kid comes on, and they, hey, little Jimmy, you know, how'd you do today? And they give him the microphone. Was his name Jim Wade? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, might, it might have been. It might have been. Let me go back and look. <laughs> Did he have rec specs on? Yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> was probably me. No. Go ahead. So... He says, oh, you know, I, I did good. I got to shoot my gun. And that woman anchor's like, oh, you know, what, what did you get to shoot at? Well, I shot a rock. And I'm, I, to this day. It wasn't me. So. <laughs> yeah. I can remember that, though. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm thinking, because you remember they had the three-day doe, mm-hmm. and then it was like just a buck only. Yeah. I'm thinking, boy, you know, his dad probably said, just shoot, son. I see something moving right yep. there. Just go ahead. Just just lay one off air on it. Yep. And that's what's scary about the, you know, the open season. Mm-hmm. Because I remember when they brought that in, too. Two weeks, open season. Yeah. War zone. Oh, my gosh. Slaughter. We had, so my excavating company that my family owns, we had a stone quarry by our house. And literally the first day of rifle, we had to park our machines. Because it's like one side of the hill. There's a creek down below mm-hmm. on the other side. We had to put one-inch steel plates on our excavators and payloader windows because people were shooting across at, like, literally, you're shooting at a freaking excavator sitting in the middle of a stone pile somewhere, like, in the middle of a Bethlehem Steel slag quarry. Are you kidding me? Like, this is what people don't understand. Like, Pennsylvania, like, I think my WMU right here, this this number could be wrong now, but at one point in time, there was 67 or 68 hunters per square mile. Yeah. it's wild. And if you all have the mentality of just shoot whatever you see because you have a tag for it, right. there's there's a lot of <laughs> carnage that's happening that's not technically a deer, right. you know, where people are bored. Like, oh, I've got an excavator. I'll just shoot the window out of that with my odd six from across the freaking mountainside. Yep. Like, yep. it's 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 scary, I'm, man. I'm telling you, man, I, and I understand. And I think that that's one reason a lot of people go down the road of archery, too, mm-hmm. is you, you ever talk to somebody and you say, I wonder how many people are here during hunting season or they know the area. And you're like, hey, does this get packed during hunting season? And if they know what they're talking about, they're like, oh, yeah, during rifle, during yeah. archery, there's nobody here. Or you've been told, oh, don't go there. There's so many people there. So you pull in during archery season, and there's one truck. Yeah. And you're like, there's literally 60,000 acres to hunt here. Yep. I think that's why a lot of people went down that avenue. Mm -hmm. On top of, if you've ever hunted a rut and you see what goes down in the woods, you're done. Yeah, exactly. You're, You're done for. On top of that close encounters, like you were saying. Yep. And you start hearing them making noises and stuff. Yeah. Especially if you're in an area, and I'm not going to say, because not all Pennsylvania is the same. I've hunted a lot of different parts of it. You know, when you get to an area that's very vocal, or maybe there's 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 a lot of bucks, and there's not a lot of does, and then bucks start communicating with each other. Yep. Or you're watching a fight. If you've ever seen a fight, and I've never seen two big, big bucks go at it, but I've seen two probably 100-inch deer go at it mm-hmm. and really go at it, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. It's crazy. I think one thing too, like around the areas I hunt, the the, the public land behind my house, and yeah. even my lease, there's a lot of times you have the biggest buck on the property at 200 yards hung up, mm. and you hit the grunt call, and they turn and run away. Yeah. 
I don't know the last time I've rattled a deer in in Pennsylvania. That's a good point. I use a bleat can for the most part or right. just let them do their thing. But when I was in Ohio this last year, as a PA hunter, I'm going out to Ohio and I'm like, okay, well, I don't even know. I've never successfully rattled in a deer in my life. Right. You know, I've done it, but I've never had a deer come into me. Mm-hmm. I'm out in Ohio and I'm watching deer like a bunch of does in a soybean field 200 yards from me. Two bucks come out. They stage up. They fight. The does run off. They're all posturing. I would snort wheeze at 200 yards and then crack horns together. And I'd have both of those bucks on a string Yeah, coming from 200 yards, full run strut, like under through the Creek. And they're five yards underneath me, 200, 120 inch deer, like tongue hanging out. And I'm like, Oh, I do know how to call because I've never done this in Pennsylvania. Like right. certain areas are so high pressure or they're just not used to that vocal thing where, yeah. like I said, you can have the biggest buck on the property. And I've had this happen multiple times. You hit the grunt tube and they just blow and run. Wind's perfect. No other deer around. They're just, they're not looking for a fight. They're looking for doe. And that's like, that's all they worry about. Yeah, so you it's, it's it, weird. They hit it right on the head. And then, like I said, that goes back to us talking as two PA guys. Yep. Because there's so many guys out there that are going to say, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I hunted this other state or I hunted this certain part of Pennsylvania where, uh, you know, I, I just blew into this call and all of a sudden this deer come running. But it's funny you say that because in the area that we, we both hunt a close, similar proximity. And all I use in Pennsylvania is a bleak call. Yep. Don't get me wrong. I take a grunt with me. Me too. I always have one there. But but that's not my go-to. Right. I, I bleat. Worst case, if I have a buck that's coming in yep. and they're not responding to a grunt or they're getting cautious, right. if they're walking away, I'll try to snort wheeze and every once in a while that'll work. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I stick with the bleat can and stick with the patterns yep. because outside of that, like like I said, you you can spook off the biggest deer on your property yeah. with, a, with a simple single grunt. Yeah, absolutely. And what's funny about calling is I'm all for it, and I'm very vocal in the woods when I can be. Mm-hmm. But I had a lot of deer, a lot of deer. What I do is like the I like to hunt not so much with the wind in my favor. I like to give them a little bit of the wind and mm-hmm. kind of hunt off wind. Exactly. You know what I mean? And I, I it, that's hard to explain to people. People are like, well, why would you do that? You know, I've been, I've been preached to for how many years of my life that you hunt against the wind. Right. But well, those bucks know their pr- travel patterns. Yeah. And if they're used to walking through that area where you know they're at, yeah. they're using that wind to verify that they're clear to go to where they're going to. So if the wind's blowing the opposite way, they might be walking a different way to catch that wind in that area where they know that there might be pressure. Right. Like I've had that. I mean, this past year was a prime example. Yeah. I shot my buck on October the 6th and it was, I had this deer all summer long, the biggest deer on the property, all kind of kickers and inset points mm-hmm. and stuff mr barnacle yeah he was he was cool man and like it was one of those deals where yeah. the wind was good all night and then right when he was showing up the wind shifted and i heard footsteps and the wind kind of caught and was kind of blowing i don't know maybe 30 degrees off but still down toward him yeah but he didn't come out until that wind shifted he was checking that ridge where he comes before he comes up to the field and luckily the wind was blowing off just enough that he came through and by the time he would catch my wind it was 12 yards and it was already over, but right. he, he would not come out of that spot until that wind shifted toward him because he knew where he was at was safe and where he was going wasn't sure. So I'm not going to walk across here unless I can use my main sense to verify that nothing is going to be there. That's going to screw me up. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. I think that's another thing too. You know, I know a lot of the guys that at least that I talk to, you know, a lot of them don't practice scent control. Mm-hmm. Now, my dad's one of them. He don't practice any type of scent control, and he's got deer on the wall that make people blush, yep. Yep. you know, and that's fine. But his setups, without him really even knowing, with all of his experience, he's hunting the thermals in the wind. Right, exactly. And he, he doesn't realize it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when he when he comes out, he's like, well, I'm going to hunt right here. Well, when he takes me there with him, 
like, yeah, this is the spot, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I could see why you want to hunt here, yep. you know, and he's looking at sign or the, what he thinks a deer is going to do, but he's doing that from experience. Right, exactly. He's not, he's not saying, oh, this is where I want to be because the, the thermals are going to be pulling here, rising up here, you know, in the morning and, you know, the wind's probably going to be coming from this way because the predominant wind's west, southwest, right. yep. you know, he's already given, given the deer a little bit of wind and yeah. he's hunting the thermal. Yep. You know, and that's, that's one thing I preach to a lot of guys, you know, at least, at least check that stuff out. Yeah. You know, you'll kill bigger deer. Yep. It, it, I'm, I'm throwing it out there. You might see less deer. Right. You know, and I, I think Dan Enfeld said something like, um, quit hunting rabbits looking for pheasants or something mm-hmm. like that. And that's, that's, I mean, that's essentially what you're doing. Yeah. You know, don't hunt, don't hunt six points if you want to shoot an eight point. Yep. Or you're getting a picture of a deer, which that's, you know, you're getting pictures of deer. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Don't. Don't hunt that deer unless you know where that deer's living. Yep. You know, if you're a specific deer hunter guy, God bless you, because you're going to go crazy. <laughs> this year was the first year I've ever successfully done that. That's why. And it was almost too good to be true. I've never before this season killed a deer that I had trail cam pictures of, ever. Wow. Ever. And I hunt a lot, and I run cameras a lot. Right. And this year was just one of them deals where that deer was showing up this time in the morning, this time in the evening, mm-hmm. and then... Before I knew it, he started making scrapes. Then I just set a camera up over that scrape, and I would just watch. I knew what time he was coming through, and it was every day. Every day. I'm like, this is too – he's by himself. No other deer with him. I'm like, what the crap? Like, is this how this is supposed to work? This has never <laughs> worked for me that way. Right. Sure sure enough, first evening I sat at the same – that 10, 15-minute window, he came right up through by himself October the freaking 6th, and I shot him at 12 yards yeah. by himself. Never, ever, and it was the big, it was my target buck. So I've never really targeted deer that that way. So you had it easy last year. <laughs> yeah, you were in the woods for. Uh, yeah, it was great. Then I got to take my kids out and stuff. And then I focused on Ohio. But yeah, it was right. usually like the season before that. I was so I actually there was two two days off the season and I quit. I was so mad. Everything was wrong. Everything was messed up. I got to the point where no deer were responding to anything unless they would see a doe. Right. I'm in the timber. I drag a decoy back. Take the antlers off of it. I set and where I was at, you can still use deer pee and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So right. I'm on this ridge, and these bucks were cruising the below and up on top of this ridge. And if they didn't see a doe, they would just stay grunting down below 100 yards. Mm-hmm. But if they saw a doe, they'd take off after it. Took my decoy out. I sound like I was banging 55 gallon drums together. Put the stupid thing together. It's one o'clock in the afternoon, November the 12th. I already had a bunch of encounters. Got jacked up that year, and I was just mad. Had this one set on this ridge. I set this stupid decoy up, dumped a whole bottle of deer pee on its back. I yeah. climb up my stand. I pull my bow up, hang it up. My release is still hanging on my riser. My bow rope is stuck on my steps. So I'm holding the tree, <laughs> trying to flick my bow rope off to get this thing out from off of my sticks. And I hear, and I turn around while I'm holding the tree over my shoulder. And there's this nice eight point between me and the decoy, which is 15 yards from my stand quartering away. And he's licking its butt. And I'm looking at the stinking, my release is clipped on my bow still, like on the riser. And I'm like, son of a gun. So I like turn around. I let the bow rope drop. I hook the release on. He walks up and bumps it and sees that it's plastic and hops like two times over toward the ridge. He's 30 yards away from me, staring right over his back now with his butthole right at me. That's all I can see is his butt. Yeah. And he knows something's up. Well, I get my arrow knocked. I spin around. And I'm sitting there and I'm waiting. I let down, pull back, let down. He just won't move. Mm-hmm. I need him to turn one way or the other and I can shoot him at freaking 30 yards. He just picks his nose up, checks the wind, and right down over that thing. And I literally, 1.30 in the afternoon, nice buck. It's 70 degrees yep. in November the 12th. And I literally just said, screw this. I'm not even having fun anymore. I got, I'm so worried about shooting a deer 
that I'm not even having fun enjoying this encounter. Right. I was so mad. I just climbed down. I'm like, I'm done for the year. I'm, I'm, if I'm not having fun doing something, I'm going to pack it up because I'm not jeopardizing my love and passion for something and pushing the experience off to the side because I'm so focused on shooting a deer. Yeah. So there was November 12th, and I quit with two days off the season during rut pretty much in PA. And I was yeah. like, well, that's how you have to do it sometimes. That's part of the, that's part of the hunt. You know, yep. guys, guys talk to me and, you know, even, even like some people don't understand the fact that if I spend how many hours in a tree stand, cause I can sit all day. Oh, me too. I'm one of them guys. Yep. I'm at, I'm at peace with myself in the tree stand. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm, I got these conversations going on in my head mm-hmm. and you're going over everything in your life and all that stuff. And I can sit for days. I'll come home and they're like, you know, you're, you're beat. I mean, you you are literally physically exhausted, yep. mentally, physically. What are you tired from? You sat all day. Yeah. Well, I I laugh too, and I'm not sure if you're one of these guys or not, but I have the guys that are like, I don't care. I will hunt. If I have a week off, I'm hunting every day, every right. waking hour. Right. For me, if I'm white tail hunting and I'm sitting all day sits, you give me two, maybe three days of that. Right. I am done. I'm capped out. I need a break because like. I just, I'm in my own head. I'm thinking. I'm, ex- I'm literally exhausted. Yeah. I'll come home and crash and like feel like I just ran a marathon and it's just regulating temperature, not moving. I have neck issues from running machine my whole entire life. So like sitting cold with my shoulders shrugged. Yep. By day three of that, like I can't even turn my head or, or draw my bow back at that point. I need to give myself that little bit of a break because like I said, once I start losing the fun aspect of it, I don't want to pursue it until I'm back into wanting to enjoy the experience rather than being so focused on I got to hunt every day this week all day because it could happen. And I, I get that it could happen, but I, I still need to know my limits. Yeah. Especially with kids too. I can't be gone for six days straight, <laughs> right? 20 minutes from home while yeah. my wife's putting up with four kids. I understand fully. I think that that's part of the, part of the journey too. You know, like you need to find what's, what's right for, for you. Yeah. You know, I, I I'm the same way with you and I, I promote that too. Like, so I, I get so much vacation time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she knows that that's that time of the year where she's going to have to put up with me not being home. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where I want to spend my time. That's what I'm practicing for all year. Yep. That's what I'm getting my couple hours out here and there to go scout or whatever. When, Whenever I get to that mindset like you're talking about, you know, like I'm just not feeling it, mm-hmm. I will take the break. Yeah, you have to. I will – what I will do is usually is I'll, I'll grab my, my hang-on, my platform, whatever the heck I got, mm-hmm. and just go for a walk. Yep. And, and then I start feeling it again mm-hmm. because what has happened to me too many times is number one, I've romanticized on cameras too much. Yep. Terrible, terrible. Worst thing. I did it last year again to myself. Yeah. And if I would have just followed my gut, which is, which is I'm getting at, you know, you, if you're not in that mindset and you start getting in your head and you're, you're thinking too deeply about, Oh, I should, that tree over there is much better. Exactly. Or the grass is greener over uh, that ridge, every time. you know, and I, I know that feeling we all do. But if you just walk in the woods and park your ass in some random woods and you have that experience, you know, yeah. you know right where to go. Yeah. You know, last year, exactly what happened was my brother and I went to Indiana. Mm-hmm. We were in Indiana for four days at a public land I won't disclose because <laughs> it's very good. But we were there for four days. We both almost killed very closely. We left. It was Wednesday when we left, I believe it was the first week of November. We went to Ohio, drove however many hours. It was dark. We got there, grabbed our tree stands, went in in the dark. We've hunted this piece before. We know it okay. Mm -hmm. Went in in the dark and both hung a set. 
That next morning, I got in a tree stand. It was 7 a.m. I turned my head to the left. There he is. I mean, when I say there he is, it's a 160-plus-inch deer. So I got ready. Well, he got my ground scent coming in. And, he, I mean, as soon as he walked right up to where I had walked in, he knew. Yep. So he got funky and started to turn back. Well, I thought I had the shot. It was, I had my body contorted and everything, you know, using my harness to lean against and everything. Mm-hmm. I made the shot. Well, I'd seen I'd hit him low. And I just, as I said to myself, I either hit him in the leg or it's dead. Yeah. One or the other. Well, I hit a limb is what happened. And the blood trail was really good. You know, I waited probably a good five hours, six hours before I even went and checked the shot. And I seen that the arrow was broken half. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe, maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. And I started blood trailing him. And, of course, as soon as I blood trailed him, he walked, I mean, right right past all the big buck sign. You know, big rub, big rub, little bench, big rub, big rub, little bench, you know, big rub, big rub. Yep. Right at the thermal spots, right where everything would be wind tunnel. Yep. I mean, pure as day, the the the, the Facts in the pudding right there. So my brother and I come, he come over and he, you know, God bless him. He spent the rest of his day tracking that deer with me. But, and I didn't get it. But what I'm saying is that was instinctive. Mm-hmm. I walked in. I seen a whole bunch of acorns on the ground where there was a log falling. Those acorns were collecting against that log. Yep. I seen a scrape. Too easy for me. Yep. Buffet. Too easy. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you know that the does are probably coming through there, there, you know, the, the scrapes there, it was on a, it was on a bench. The benches are magical. They're yep. like magicians. They just make deer appear. They do. And they can also screw you too. Cause the wind. <laughs> exactly. That, and that's why they're there. That, that spot where I killed my deer last year, I have killed. So I've had my lease for, this is my sixth year now. And this is our last year there. Um, you always learn about a, a lot about a, a property after hunting four or five years. Yeah, I agree. 100%. And then after that, you have to hit up looking for another one. That's yeah. how it always works. But I've killed f- four of my last five bucks out of this one tree. Mm-hmm. And we dubbed it the PP tree because long story short, I took my daughter, my youngest daughter, mm-hmm. and uh, I was hanging the set in this really good spot that I looked like a perfect fi- – it looked like an old power line almost. It was just not, maybe a quad tra- trail wide, but – Big creek crossing, nice little funnel up over this bench where they'd come and then split off to go up to this field. And she, uh, I was hanging the set, and she tripped and fell and hit her inner thigh on one of the screw-in steps because she was goofing around on it. So yeah. I, I had to check and make sure she didn't hurt her pee-pee right. and all this stuff. Uh-huh. So I said, what should we call this stand? She's like, oh, we should call it the pee-pee tree. And I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> well, and I, the, every year I feel like I can sit in this stand, Yeah. and that is where the deer are. That is where the deer are. It is the perfect little funnel. There's a down tree. Everything comes across, checks wind. You hear them splashing across the creek so you can get ready. You stand up. They come up through. They check the wind, and they walk across this corridor 15 yards from you by this big white oak tree and then tuck back into the timber to get up to the field. And it's it's the same thing. Like that is That is the crossing zone for every big buck I've ever had on that property. It's crazy. Now, would you consider yourself a terrain feature hunter then? Yes and no. I think a lot of my hunting style is also i i check out the terrain i look for sign like during shed season or after the snow starts to melt you can see those muddy trails and i i walk creeks a lot to see where things are crossing from and i'm more of the it might take me a year or two but i also can hunt in an area that i feel is a good spot and have there's good sign but then i'm also the guy that hunts the morning and i see every deer at 80 yards where i drop my stand after the morning hunt move up 40 yards Mm -hmm climb the tree and sit the rest of the night. Yeah. And so after two or three years of that, you really can hone in on that area where continually these deer that have a safe area kind of, or a, a non-pressured area 
hit those same spots or within a certain range of those same spots, depending right. on the wind. So for me, a lot of my set is I'll set up back. I mean, sometimes I'll set stands up in close to an area, but I want to be back far enough to observe what's happening and then maybe miss one or two opportunities, but then know, okay, this has happened the same way with this wind this many times now. Okay, bump that set up and hang and hunt. And that's how I've killed a lot of deer that way too. Now, are you a mobile hunter then? No. Okay. On my lease, I'm not. I, I'm getting more that way now because I know my lease is leaving. I'm going to have to hop back on public for a while to determine whether I'm going to buy a piece or right. find another lease. But I'm also, I have 11 sets on my lease. I'll hunt three of them, but I have the option to bounce around. Right. You know what I mean? I'm one of those oh, guys. Oh, I know. So I know. Um, I'm getting more mobile with things. But at the same time, I know after five or six years on this property, I know where things are going to be. And if something dries up one place, I can almost guarantee you I can hop to the other end of the property and see where the sign is fresh. And then I have a set kind of for that. So I I can be mobile. I'm getting more mobile now. But for the last six years, I've been sets and sticks and I'll pull them down and move them if I have to, but it's, it's sticks and hang on stands everywhere. Yeah. Um, I'm the same for the most part. I did get a saddle two years ago mm -hmm. and I have been hunting out of it. I'm not, I don't like these guys that are like, once you, once you use this, you, yeah. you'll, you'll never, no, no, it's a toll. Yep. It's a toll. If I know I'm going way back, mm -hmm. then that's what I'll take. Right. But I prefer the tree stand. I do too. I like this. My, the, I have not tried a saddle yet. Judging by everything I've seen with the saddles, I am not good enough. I would say good enough, but I'm not the, the kind of guy that says, okay, these deer are going to walk through on this side of the tree. Right. So if I'm set up on my quote unquote strong side mm -hmm. and now the deer comes over to the right side of the tree and I'm in a bigger tree mm -hmm. and I'm on a saddle, in my mind, if I'm with my stick bow, I got a 64 inch long bow that I now have to get over top of my tether. I have all that movement, even using the tree, I'm still whipping a 64 inch bow around to try to shoot on my right side of the tree as a right-handed shooter, yeah. or I'm doing a freaking acrobatic act to spin around and hang off the tree like MacGyver and try to fling something off on the other side. Yep. So for me, I like the fact of with a tree stand, I can set up just as quick. If it's two or three more pounds, who cares? I'm not going in that far. If I am, it's one time I have to take it in there for this set right. and I can sit down. If I hear something, I have the ability to flip that seat up and I stand most of the time when I'm in a set. Like I'll sit when I get bored and like I'm not seeing nothing or it's warming up, but I'll flip that seat up and I'll stand against the tree and just lean against it. And if I have to do anything, I can easily turn to my left and right. shoot on that side or spin around and use the tree to block me then. But I still can get around more of the tree. I feel with less acrobatic work out of a stand than I can with a saddle for the three pounds that I am saving by hunting with a saddle. Yeah. And this could be wrong because I've never done it, but just judging by other people's seeing what they do and stuff like that and that, I mean, I, I might try it and love it, but at the same time, I'm just so used to hang on so I can get them up in crooked trees and all this other crap. And I can, I like to hunt split trees, like big cherries that split off or whatever, five feet up and they split off into two trunks. I love to tuck in to my terrain yeah. that way. And I'm but just, they're perfect it. for it. They are. They yeah. really are. Especially if the wedge is high enough that you can get yes. the stand to just, yep, yeah. perfectly sit in there. You can hang your bow in the tree right that's in right you. in front of you and yeah. it's just, you're, there's no movement. Um, I like, I was running millennium stands for the longest time because of their bracket system. Mm -hmm. I would just have sets where I'd have four or five different just sticks up the tree yeah. with a bracket. Just slide it and in. if I have to move, I just pop the cotter pin, slide it up out of the bracket, climb up and slip it down in the other bracket. And it's, yeah. I could buy 10 of those brackets for a hundred bucks and really have 10 tree stand sets with one stand if I had to, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're set up. I remember, you know, I would say years ago that they were they were definitely you know one of the top dogs, mm -hmm. and that was because also like the lone wolf stuff was so expensive then yeah. too. And the seats are comfy on those. Believe it or not, those, those right. 
those mesh seats, the mesh ones, they're so comfortable. Yeah, you know, yeah. And you don't have to worry yeah. about squirrels chewing them apart. I wish, you know, I wish like uh, Wolf and uh, XOP or uh, Novix now or whoever they are mm-hmm. that they would they'd go that route because yeah. I see a lot of people alter them and they put them on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I have I have a couple XOPs and um, a Lone Wolf Assault and a Lone Wolf uh, uh, Alpha, mm-hmm. and I have looked at the at the custom gear stuff. I'm just not into spending that much money on no. stuff anymore. You know what I mean? I, I have one you can check good. out. And I, I bought one just because I knew my hunting style was going to change when yeah. I lost my lease. Yeah. It is great. Don't it, I feel that if you are the guy that needs to have one stand and that's the style of hunting you're right. doing, that's, that's the, the stand you buy. I understand. But then for me having 11 sets, two assaults, you know, I got five or six millenniums. Yeah. Um, it's for me, it was just kind of I, I, like I'm a gearhead. I like to try stuff right, out. Absolutely. But for if I have to go to Ohio and I need to run and gun something, yeah, I can get in there pretty quietly and quickly with that setup. Right, and you can call me. I mean, you can call me whatever. You can call me lazy. You can call me whatever. But there's just sometimes we're just going in the woods in the morning and being able to just go and get in my tree stand without, yeah. without you know carrying all that stuff in, you know. And I know it's a good spot. Mm-hmm. I've killed deer there before. You know, we all have that kill tree. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's funny. That's why I said about terrain features and such because. There's one tree that my dad hunts every year in Ohio, and he gets a shot on a big buck every yep. year. It's wild. Yeah. But it's, you know, I don't want to see people fall down that rabbit hole either. Like we were saying before, where you need this gear, you need this gear. Right. You just don't. You Honestly, don't. if you, if you want to be mobile, if you can find a good set of XOP lone wolf sticks, I would say definitely go that route. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know, like get the L cheapies and yeah. all that stuff. Like they just, they're not the same. Right. I've been down that hole. We've all hunted out of $40 Dunham stands. Yeah, absolutely. That you put a piece of chain on because your cables break every year, but right. you don't want to spend the money. But anymore too, as a father with four kids, there is no deer out there. I agree. Even with my wife, there's no deer out there worth my wife feeding me with a straw and wiping my ass for the rest of my life. I know, man. You it's know? crazy what some guys do too. Yep. That's the biggest thing that I'll tell you that I like about the saddle is like I, I wear a harness and I will say that like when I was younger, I didn't. And yeah, same here. I do. I wear a harness and um, everything is nice about it and everything. But, you know, sometimes that you get that rope like, you know, behind your neck and you're kind of like, what eh, the fuck? It's kind of yeah. in my way or whatever. But. With with a saddle, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I wear I use a tethered uh, phantom, mm-hmm. and it's got these big lineman loops on the sides of it. And I can just throw that thing on that tree, and yep. I'm you know right up the tree, and I'm very comfortable because I'm 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 tethered up. Yep. You know, I, I can hook, but right before I step onto my platform, which is usually where the where where the problem is, that's where the gumption. Yep. You know, that's that's the bad spot. That's when you feel you're safe and you can risk two seconds of not being hooked up. But that's when you're trusting that's your when cables. You're trusting. Yep. I mean, I hate to say this half the time, Chinese manufacturing, weak right. spots in forgings, anything like that. Right. Your life at that point for that two seconds from your top step to your platform is usually the fatal, the Abs- fatal step. Absolutely. Yeah. And with that system, which nice, which is very nice about it. And I know there's a lot of guys that will tell you the same is when I get to that top step and before I make that step, you know, I have my lineman belt on. And then also what I can do is I can drop my tether down mm-hmm. just low enough to be able to hook into that bridge. Yep. Now, I'm protected. So you know. the last seven or eight years, I've been using a Metolius all-around rock climbing harness. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Simpson was the first guy that I saw using those. And my thing was, was fighting that stupid tether all the time. I was also the guy that, like, all day sits. I would fall asleep and lean forward till my my tether caught mm-hmm. on my regular yeah. hunting harness, and I would sleep like that. Yeah. 
So for me though, I, what I started doing was buying my own paracord, or not paracord, but climbing rope. Right. And I would make my own lineman's belt and, and I would hang a set. I would hang sticks, my stand, my bow hanger. I'd have a lifeline and I would have this other tether thing. And really what that is, there's weight bearing points the whole way around you. So you have your, it's a rock climbing harness, but there's nothing on your upper body. Cause I like bibs. I wear a bino, a set of binos or a bino harness. Mm-hmm. So till I put a safety harness on a set of bibs a bi- uh, and whatever else, a harness. I got three straps now with my neck issues, just weighing me down on the upper body. Yeah. And with that, I can clip into the center. I can clip into the hip side. If I know I need to turn mostly to the left side, I can hook onto my right hip and I have enough tether to move around. And if I fall out of the tree or slip off of the stand, I can now be facing the tree and be able to almost like repel or ascend back up into my stand right. without hanging backwards and trying to find your feet on your, on this, on your stuff. But yeah. I love those, that harness. Yeah. I mean, that's, you, you make a great point and I'm sure that there's people listening to this will probably look into it because, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you like one of the biggest reasons that I'm not the biggest fan of my harness and it's not that it's not a good one. It's a hunter safety system. Um, and it, it's meant to go under or over. Yeah. But, you know, like you were saying, if you put, like, I, like I have his fanatic bibs, mm-hmm. like, they're, they're too big to put that over top. Of. Yeah. They're, like, all bunched up in your junk and stuff if yep. you do that. So then you wear them under. Well, God forbid you got to take a shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> that is exactly. that is one of the problems, yep. you know. So um, what I started doing was I started wearing my saddle with my climbing stand. Well, yeah. not climbing stand, my, my hanging bang system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know some guys that they'll run – both. I mean, we're talking about that. It's getting down the road here, spending some money. Oh, yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. Like, I will do that now Now that I have both of them. Mm-hmm. But like you were saying, that's probably that's probably something really good that you bring up that people should know about. That yeah. That's a good option. And the other thing I can tell you, too, with hunting stuff, it's like when you go to Walmart and you see deer corn for sale. Yeah. It's $9 a bag or whatever. Right. Well, you can buy 100 pound of shell corn off of a farmer for $4. Yeah. Anything that's that's functioned and pointed to a demographic based on their their uh hobby right the price is jacked absolutely this rock climbing harness was 89 dollars right and it's probably better weight rated at all the lash points like you have one in the center two on your hips they're all load bearing weight so right there you're going to spend 160 to 200 dollars on the pro version of blah 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 i'm not saying it's not great but for my style of hunting it was 90 dollars and it freed me. It freed my whole upper body for everything. And I'm probably safer in that because people are climbing rock faces with these stupid yeah, things. Exactly. And I just need to make sure I don't fall 20 feet out of a tree stand yeah. with it. Yeah. There's, there's lots of stuff outside of the hunting world, fishing world, yep. um, that is sports specific to something else that can be utilized and cross pollinated to your, your hobby. There's lots of stuff, you know, um, some of the stuff you were bringing up, you know, like some of the clothing, if you look into like some of the different uh, skiing and snowboarding oh, yeah. stuff, especially for some undergarments, you know, th- those are those are really well. I mean, heck, half of, I mean, Sitka, Kuyu, all those big names that kind of developed that mountaineering style stuff. Deprived off. Were deprived off mm-hmm. of the fact that their, their hiking or their rock climbing or their right. skiing gear was right. better than their hunting gear was. So why can't we use the same system? And just make a camouflage or make it a color that you can hunt with. I mean, there's a lot of guys, the Stone Glacier guys, all their Stone Glacier stuff. And I love their gear. They're hunting. They haven't hunted with camo for two or three years now since they, I mean, they're gray. Yeah. Gray jackets, tan jackets. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the hunting industry needs to go back to some solid stuff as far yeah, as whitetail gear. You make me a fanatic outfit or whatever, or something insulated like solid, that. Out solid of solids, browns or something. A dark brown. Mm-hmm. You, you set, you, I mean, the majority of hunting 
you can have whatever camo you want. If you can't sit your butt still, then you ain't gonna kill you're him. done. <laughs> I could be wearing a freaking fuchsia poncho. Right. And as long as I'm not moving, I might be okay. Yep. You know what I mean? And yep. it, it's, it's, people rely on that so much for a crutch. And I feel like it's, it's the Ford Chevy Dodge deal. It's whatever you're into and whatever you think looks good and works good. And you can have success in all those. But like I said, I killed that doe on the ground at 10 yards wearing a stinking brown Woolrich shirt and a pair of green Woolrich pants and a Carhartt hat. Yep. She had no idea it was there. And I was on the ground. I level with her the whole entire time. I was able to kill her. Just sit your butt still. Yeah. Well, you know, like I was saying, I, I think that that stuff more stirs towards a younger crowd because yeah. when you get a little bit of age, you start to learn some shit. Oh, yeah. You know 100%. I mean? Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Your dad told you, told you, told you, but all of a sudden you're like, son of a bitch. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he was right <sighs> about right. this. Yeah. 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 I mean, our grandfathers all killed stuff with red and black flannel for how many years? Yeah. Bread bags on their feet with their rubber galoshes and a wool liner in them, and they were warm as heck. They couldn't really walk that far, but guess what? They still killed deer. Ain't know? that wild, man? You know, yeah. and, and like, I know a lot of guys are constantly after that. My feet get cold. My feet get cold. There's certain things you can try, you know? Um, I know uh, Byron Horton did a did a thing on Whitetail Experience where they were taking, uh, like, thermal socks, so like mm-hmm. big, thick sons of bitches, and they were rolling them up their boots. And they were sitting longer. And I'm thinking, get the hell out yeah. of here. But, you know, what's funny is I have these military boot slippers mm-hmm. that I use. So I tried that, and I said, damn, it works yeah. pretty good. And he was just rolling them back to the arch on a boot. Yep. I'll tell you what the, the one thing I can say that helps me. I went to school for carpentry. So I actually built my own house. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I done excavating. I can, I'm like one of those jack-of-all-trades guys. I just love to learn things and right. do them. The biggest thing with insulation is having airspace. Right. Insulation does not work if it's compressed. Too tight, yep. Okay? So it's the same with anything else. If you have an airspace in something, you don't want something. You need an air. If you have merino base layers, which I 100% believe in, that's the best thing. You have that tight layer. Your insulation should not be compressed. If you're wearing something too tight, you're killing the only thing that's keeping your insulation to keep you warm. All insulation does is it slows the transition from one temperature on the one side of the insulation to the opposite temperature on the outside. So your house insulation, everything, if you don't have airspace and there's no airflow at some point in time, you're just slowing that cool from the cool to the warm. That's all you're doing. So when you compress things or you, or you wear too many layers that are caught and absorbing things, the moisture can't get out. There's no airflow. That's when you freeze. Another thing that I learned too that I heard from one of the guys from Sitka if your feet are always getting cold, what I always do is I wear a pair of liner socks. So like a thin poly pair of liner socks, mm-hmm. and then I'll put a pair of wool socks over top of that. The other thing is if your feet are constantly getting cold and your fingers are constantly getting cold, wear a better hat. Your head is the highest point and heat rises. Mm-hmm. If you can stifle the amount of heat leaving your body through your chimney, which is your, the top of your head, it forces all of the warmth and the weight or the, the warmth to the extremities, which is your other parts. So if you can stifle the amount of heat leaving your head with a crappy hat or a ball cap, you actually hold more body heat longer. So that's one thing I've always done. Liner socks, a pair of wool socks over top, and I can wear a pair of rubber boots or a pair of regular boots. And if you put a good insulated hat on that's covering your ears and the top of your head, it literally helps you stay warmer longer. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Stifle the chimney. I mean, I know, you know, my dad growing up always made sure that the biggest thing we had on was something that's very warm on yep. our head. Yep. You know, and, and and I learned that from a young age that you got to have some, because I know guys like in Ravel season that they won't cover their ears. Mm-hmm. Well, you're really messing up. Yeah. You know, I understand you want to be able to hear and stuff like that, but even if you just cover, the, like, just at least the tips of your ears. Right, exactly. You know, because you're going to lose a lot of heat 
yep. from there. And he, the biggest thing, I'll tell you, the biggest thing that I found years ago was the neck gator. Yes. It's a game changer. Yep. Total, total unbelievable game changer. I have a long, I have a draft neck too. So if you just get that wind from hitting the back of your neck, yep. that's, that's key right there. Yep. That's the biggest thing. Cause that's cools everything. That's helps you start to shrug and then you tense up right. and then you get, yeah. The other thing I like too, like along the hat line, I wear a stormy Cromer and I got turned on to those a long time ago, just watching guides from Montana and right. stuff. I got and there's you. a wool hat mm-hmm. with a little band on the back that just slides in over the top of your ears. And if yeah. you're worried about hearing things, it's you have a nice wool heavy hat with a brim on, a short brim, and that little bit to go over the top of your ears, that's, I mean, that, that's great. They're, those things are worth their money. I have probably 15 of those things. They're awesome. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of people like on this subject that I would tell you guys to follow, and one of them would be like Donnie Vincent. Mm-hmm. He's real big on that stuff. Yep. Um, you know, he does all that, uh, King of the mountain stuff and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. It's expensive, Yeah, you know, but I'll tell you what, if you, if you go to Goodwill or your Salvation Army, which I don't, I I support Goodwill, but I'm, I'm rolling a lot bigger on Salvation Army. You would be surprised what you'll find at these places that you can use. Half these traditional guys that opened my eyes to the traditional crowd. They're hunting out of like 1960s (laughs) J crew wool, like turtlenecks. Absolutely. They're freaking warm as heck. Yeah. And fleece people also discredit fleece a lot because i mean all, all the old school real tree road trips jackets and all that stuff it was fleece, fleece the thing is quiet yep. fleece is a great wind stopper as well so even if you're wearing this j crew sweater wind can blow through that but you still stay warm if you have a fleece outer layer over top of that it's a thin fleece shell that polar tech stuff or whatever that stuff will help you too you don't need to spend six hundred dollars on the jacket yeah i mean i i i agree full-heartedly i i don't think that you need i'm not saying i don't have that stuff i agree same because i do and i don't plan on getting rid of it yep you know, it is very nice. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know, not to not to name shout out things, but I have a, the Sika Fanatic system. Mm-hmm. I have the coat with the bibs, yep. and it's stupid warm. Oh yeah, it's it's incredible. It really is. I mean, you can't if you if you need to walk far in the woods, you're that's not the piece for you. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> you take God. it off. I walk into my underwear and yeah. you put that stuff on. Absolutely, have to, yeah. have to. But uh, like like we were saying earlier, I have that the Badlands, uh, the Ovis shell yep. with the merino. merino uh, Sleeves and it has the uh, like the puffer jacket top, but yep. it's very thin. Yep. Perfect piece. Yep. Wonderful exactly. piece. Highly recommend it. Hundred yeah, percent. Merino wool. If you're always getting cold, I'm a cold guy to begin with. Merino wool next to skin. Mm-hmm. I have tons of ticks where I'm at too, so I like to wear base layers just to keep ticks off yep, of me. Keep everything I wear merino in. base layers and merino top starting from the first day of season, and I use it as my base layers the whole way through th- through season. Then that stuff warmth to weight ratio. Whether you, it doesn't stink. If, if it gets wet, it's still warm. Right. And synthetic is nice too, but you have chafing issues. I feel like with that, with that kind of stuff a lot, but merino socks, base layers, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Try merino wool out if you're always getting cold because it's, it's yep. great. I have uh, six or seven pairs of the minus 33 mm-hmm. socks. Yep. I, uh, and I have the, uh, um, it's, it's not farm to fleet, farm to foot. Farm to foot. I have a bunch of their stuff too. Yeah. Super nice. Yep. Very nice stuff. Highly recommend their stuff too. Um, so what what goals do you have for this year going into the hunting season? I mean, like you said, you you play around with a little bit of fishing. I don't know yep. if you have any goals on the fishing end. Nothing really on the fishing end. I just like to get my kids involved with it more. Like I yeah. said, just take them out and let them have a good time with it. Get them to the point where I was a kid. You go out on the boat or you go back in a stream and just let them have some fun. That's yeah. all I do with the fishing, really. Hunting-wise, um, PA, focusing on PA for my last year on my lease. I just want to make it a good year with all of my kids, too, because I'll have three kids with licenses this year. So I want to take them out. So and you enjoy got your it. hands full. Yeah, enjoy them. <laughs> with October, my dad hunts and uh, my father-in-law, too. So we at least can split up with them and 
take them to three different areas, kind of yeah. let them try to it's get perfect. their first their deer. Um, I'm focusing on seeing what pops up on cameras this year for a little bit uh, around here for PA. Do a little bit more experimenting behind my house on the public land because I'll be transitioning over to that a lot here after I lose the lease this year. Uh, going to be going to Ohio again for the usually first or second week of November just mm-hmm. to experience that wonderful little. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. And then actually we had a, a wedding, our last wedding. We usually, September, August, everything is usually booked for us for weddings. With COVID, everything got moved around. We had one wedding left in September and the girl messaged us and said, we're going to move our wedding to next year. So I'm actually, this is so late in the game, but I'm looking to buy an over-the-counter Colorado tag, going out with one or two buddies, blind. Yeah. 1500 bucks probably tops with tags and getting out there and spending the first week of September out there to try elk hunting for my first time for myself. I filmed elk hunting before, but I have all the stuff. I've been wanting to do it for years. I got to kill my moose, which is my number one bucket list thing to do. And now I just want to kind of go out and experience that. So I would rather go out for five years straight, right. DIY over the counter and learn something and maybe shoot a bull right. rather than go spend eight to 12 grand and then be financially tied up with that to kill something that's 300 plus. Like, yeah, I understand. I just want to go do that. Do you put in for your PA? I do. I have, I have probably eight or nine preference points. For I that. learned a lot about the PA system last year. After I filmed for the game commission for that first archery hunt uh, that they did and seeing, I mean, the kid that I was filming all week shot like a 387. <laughs> yeah. at like 30 yards it ran right at us the guide that was with us like literally had to wave the thing off he shot it and it ran right at us <laughs> and he stopped at seven yards from me as i'm filming it but seeing like a 380 and a 367 get killed two days before that and all these big bulls right it's going to be weird for me to go out and be like oh there's a 200 inch bull like oh wow like okay that's a great bull for this here like mm-hmm. so for me like i would love to draw pa because it's like i said pa is awesome I've put in, I've experienced elk hunting in PA now and see the caliber of bulls. And it is, it is wild. It is not like penned deer. You know what I mean? Like it is pretty insane. And I would love bucket list also to be, to be able to kill a bull in my home state like that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy what we have here. I'm a couple hours from home. Like <laughs> I know, it's insane. It's, it's wild. I, fi- I photographed on Sunday, of course we couldn't hunt. And I filmed, I filmed and photographed. We just out scouting and looking at stuff. I filmed like a 428-inch bull that was collared and ended up getting shot in rifle season this past season. But having that thing bugling its head off and just watching a 400-plus-inch bull, wild bull in Pennsylvania, that was mm-hmm. just, it was collared to just uh, radio transmit and see what it was doing. But. When we get done talking on here, I, I want to talk about yeah. maybe that bull because – Big, big I may bull. know somebody who shot that bull. That, so. that bull, I, I, so the year before I filmed that, I filmed and photographed that bull. And I have some crazy pictures of that, but seeing that makes me want to like, if I drew in PA, I would spend the entire season four hours from here just trying to yeah. capitalize on something like that. It's, yeah. it's insane. Yeah, they're, they're wonderful, wonderful, awesome animals. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool to following behind. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen like, do you ever see, they call it something and I'm not sure, but whenever the shed season starts out west, mm-hmm. Do you ever see the picture of all yeah. the vehicles? Yeah. Well, it's similar. Really? Up north. Oh my God. And we don't we don't have a season for right. it. We they just know that they're yeah. dropping. But there's guys that will follow those certain elk around for months. When you see the size of bone on that, you can't it's, blame them. Yeah. Because the time wild. to do it. It's it's insane. It's wild. Um I plan on having somebody that I know come on the podcast that this shed collection is it's impressive, man. It's really, awesome. It really is. Um so you got got an elk? How, how, uh, yeah. Not yet, but I'm 85% sure I'm going to do it. Okay. I figured it's going to be a $1,500 vacation to just walk around with my bow and maybe luck into something. But I'm going blind. I, I've 
no idea the area. You know, I, it's just going to be me and a couple of buddies going to start this kind of getting our feet wet on that kind of stuff. So that will be like first week of September, probably October will just be mostly focusing on hunting with my kids and right. myself if something's popping up and then November right. roll around and go to get your Ohio. week in Ohio. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to end it. Do you, do you guys, do you practice doing your own uh, meat processing? I too? do. I have never, ever paid for a butcher from the time I was a kid. It was a big assembly line thing. Like yeah. my dad and I can pull a deer into our garage. We both have winches set up and everything strip yep. drains. Like I built my garage with a strip drain. We pull back them in, winch them up. I can skin and, debone a deer in probably 20 minutes yeah. and then we either let them if we can let them hang we do but it's usually too warm when i shoot them in archery season anymore i just pack them in my yetis with ice let them sit for a couple of days and then we process everything um a couple of my buddies and i this last year i got in on it with them we made 120 pound of bologna 120 pound of sausage different kinds and yeah. like i with four kids we have doesn't last no, long. we had four deer <laughs> last year i had two bucks and they had i had two does with my daughters and any way I can save any bit of money by processing and perfect making those meals. I mean, we eat deer meat a lot here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I personally, and so does um, my fiance, she prefers the venison over the beef. Yeah. I, I was raised on it. She wasn't. Yeah. And she still prefers it. Yeah. More. My wife doesn't really like it too much. It depends mm-hmm. on how I cook it. But right. if you, if you are, if you know what you're doing as far as getting the gaminess taste up, you can let them hang. Let that connective tissue break down yep. and then work on stuff or just cooking it. Like wild game, people – I grew up in a family that had well-done steaks. You can't do that with wild game. No. It gets tough. Jerky. And that, yep, it's jerky. So like me, I sous-vé stuff now. Like I'll put backstraps, nice. season them, sous-vé them for a couple hours at 130 degrees, sear them on my birch barrel or my charcoal grill, whatever mm-hmm. I have. And my kids all are used to eating rare or medium-rare steaks. Yeah. Four-year-old kid with blood running on <laughs> his elbow just looks like a little <laughs> cannibal. But, I mean – it's funny. When you taste an overcooked steak compared to a yeah. medium rare or rare mm-hmm. steak in the out like in a wild game yeah. species, if you can get past the blood, if you're grossed out by that, it's night and day difference as far as flavor mm-hmm. and textures and everything. Yeah, that's what my dad likes to make us. To this day, he still makes blood burgers, mm-hmm. and that's that's the way we like. Yeah. You know, like the the buns are soaked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you eat them quick because you're like getting grossed up by soggy blood. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> but they're wonderful. Yeah, they're so good. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're real big on on processing all our own stuff. We have our own butcher shop, you know. But it sounds like me and you were really lucky. You know, we were raised in the environment where we were taught everything that we needed to know going down the, down yep. the road. Mm-hmm. You know, and what I try to promote to a lot of people that are in our our footsteps, and I know you're already doing it, passing it down to the kids, is, you know, I, I tried it. Anybody who wants to go, I tell them, let's go. Yep. Let's go. I'll take you. I'll take you. Take, I'll show you anything I know, you know, except for the big tree by the old log yeah. near the big rock. Where the acorns fall. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I promote that to a lot of people when I tell everyone, you know, like, let's get people out there. Let's get them fishing. Let's get them hunting. You know, everybody says they wants to, they want to do it, but it's a lot for somebody to just take on, I think. So, yeah. I think it, it really is. is. I feel though also if you experience, I mean, I know people, this doesn't, this, this irks me, but not enough to like be on a soapbox with it. But I know guys that have killed deer their entire lives that have had somebody else gut their deer every time <laughs> or they take it and they have someone help them put it in the bed of their truck and they drop the whole freaking thing off at the butcher. And mm-hmm. this is fine. If, it, if you don't have the resources and the places to do it, I get it. But if you are a hardcore quote unquote whitetail hunter, that is on your soapbox preaching about having wild game and you have not touched your knife on the cutting one piece of deer meat off of that deer. Yeah. 
you gotta you gotta try it. Just yeah. try it. I mean, you're gonna probably screw it up, but guess what? It's meat. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yep. you can always go back in and cut more off or fix something. But mm-hmm. if you're adamant enough about spending all the money you do on things, tree stands, bows, camouflage, yep. etc., putting the time in to do it, you are robbing yourself of another quote unquote blessing of being an outdoorsman by not trying that at least once in your life. Yep. If you don't like it, don't do it. That's fine. But it's just like you got to kind of get your hands dirty to appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And if you're not going to learn anything wholeheartedly without screwing something up before. Absolutely. That's the best way to learn on anything. So just try it. I mean, there's plenty of YouTube references. Oh, yeah. Blogs, whatever. Bearded Butcher is a good one. I mean, any of these. Just go and try it. If you yep. have a place to hang a freaking deer in a tree in your yard and you can at least try to pull the skin off of it and try to get some cuts of meat, it's not as hard as you think it is. Yeah. But you got to you, you need to try it. So I will tell you that one of the biggest things, and I don't know if you've ever done it, maybe you have, is my brother and I would like to pack one out this year. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever done it. I have. That's a big one on my list. Yeah. It's the first thing I ever packed out was a, a doe. Um, with a, I took a young kid out hunting for the first time. He shot this doe and it ran clean to the back of the property. We couldn't <laughs> take anything back into it. So right. I had a frame pack and I was like, you know what? We're just going to, I took a sawzall back with me. Like we literally walked back in with a sawzall and I just skinned it, deboned it, mm-hmm. threw it in trash bags and stuck it on my back and took it out. My moose was the first thing I ever legitimately packed out. Mm-hmm. And I shot at seven thirty in the morning. And until we packed it out two miles back and forth from the truck with three trips on crown land in Canada, I didn't get back home till 10 30 that night. But it's a whole different ballgame, too, as far as keeping things wrapped, keeping things out of the sun, hanging them so they're not laying in their stuff. I mean, bot flies will pop out anywhere. And before you know it, you're back in your garage burning maggots off of it from two hours beforehand because the flies got into it before you could get it you right. know, packaged. But, um, yeah, it's it's definitely – I grew up whitetail hunting yep. with being able to usually drive a quad where you're going, yep. throw it in the bed. Haul it or so or multiple to, people being yeah. able to help. Or having to break something, having to break something down – Keep it clean, mm-hmm. get it covered with cheesecloth or game bags quick, right. and then right. get it on your back and get it out. It's that's the other thing too. Like you, you should have to experience it at some point in time in your life to appreciate you appreciate that meat and that morsel of meat that you eat so much, more, much more when yeah. you know the work that went into yes. it. And know? buy yourself a good knife. Oh my gosh, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Spend the money, yeah. please, people. Yep, because you'll you just do it. Yep, you know, and, and possibly if you can carry two. Yeah. I you always know. do. I carry a Havilon with me, and I have just a regular fixed blade with a sharpener just in case Dude. something goes bad. So. I carry my 110, my Buck 110, and I have a Havilon too. Yep. Yep. That's definitely a good combo. So, all right, man. Well, I want to be a little bit sensitive to your time. I know we could sit here for hours. Uh, I'm, like I said, I can be uh, BS to an earthworm, as my wife says. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, we're definitely going to have you on again. What we'll probably do is we'll catch up probably right around later in November or something like that. We'll see how the season went. Yep, sounds great. Talk about how the kids did and all that stuff. Yeah, looking so, forward to that. I appreciate you being on here, man. Before I go uh, and shut you down here, where can everybody find you at? You know, where can they follow you? Where can they follow your work? Just give everybody the lowdown. Okay, so my Facebook was hacked and I lost my account forever, which is a blessing in disguise because that's just like a drama zone anymore, I oh, feel. Yeah. But uh, my wife and I, our company is called AdLiv Collective, A-D as in dog, L-I-V. It's our two daughters' names, Addie and Liv. AdLiv Collective. So on Instagram, we're at AdLiv Collective. Most of that is her photography stuff and her wedding stuff. Um, my personal Instagram is at Wade, W-A-D-E, Roland, R-O-L-A-N-D, James. And uh, our website is adlivecollective.com. So that's pretty much 
you know, my hunting stuff, my page, my personal page is mostly all the hunting stuff. Um, our photography and videography account for our weddings and every other corporate thing we do is through AdLive Collective. So, but you can check us out on either of those platforms. Perfect. If anybody has any questions for him, you know, go ahead and reach out yeah, to him. reach out. If uh, you guys like his work, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to, you know, get a quote. I don't know how far you guys travel or anything like anywhere. that. Anywhere. Anywhere. We've done weddings in Punta Cana. So it's yeah. like, we're... We're, we're, was that uh, business or vacation? Uh, both. <laughs> it was business that turned into vacation. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> so, all right, man. Well, like I said, I appreciate your time. Yeah, and, appreciate uh, you having me on here. It's great, absolutely, great catching man. up and Appreciate talking. you having me. And this this is fun being mobile, man. This is the first time I've done it. So. Nice. Yeah. Heck yeah, dude. All right, man. Well, I'll talk to you later in the year. Sounds great. Thanks a lot. All right. That's going to wrap it up for another week of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. As always, I appreciate you guys listening, and if you could do me a huge solid, please rate, comment, and subscribe to whatever platform you're listening to on. That's a huge solid, really helps us out. Until next week, guys, God bless.